Here, David is turning over the kingdom to Solomon. He has been blessed by his God. And he has a promise from God that his kingdom will continue and that Solomon is going to be a great king and that his kingdom will just keep on going if he will follow the commands that God has set before him. Sadly, Solomon started out well, but he didn't keep those commandments. In 1 Kings, the second chapter, but basically he's saying, Solomon, if you will do this, the Lord will be able to carry out his promises through you. But the thing is, if you don't do these things, things aren't going to work out well for you. Like a lot of kids, Solomon didn't really listen to his daddy. That happens a lot. We want good for our kids, but somehow they just don't listen. Now, he started off so well, and then something went wrong. And I want to get into what went wrong. But before I go into that, there's something that just looms here that uh, people many times think that the God of the Old Testament is a God of conditional love, where the God of the New Testament is a God of unconditional love. But you said this is one of the things that has gotten people so far off track because they just speculate about, well, if God's love is unconditional, it doesn't matter what I do. God's going to love me anyway. And they will tell other people that. God loves you no matter what you do. And the thing is, yes, that's true. He does love you no matter what you do, but he still expects good behavior. And there's a price to be paid when you don't give him obedience. That's a bad word today, but it go, it's something God's love for him to be able to bless us It has conditions. As I was thinking about that this morning, it hit me. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned about this was from my grandmothers on both sides of my family. Whenever I first came to know the Lord and I sensed his presence with me, I felt a love that was like I was loved for just being me. I didn't have to prove anything to anybody I didn't have to earn anything. Joel was loved just for being Joel. And that's the way I felt in my grandparents' house. And if you'll watch a lot of kids, whenever they bop into their grandparents' house, you'll see them just cop an attitude. Because they know that they are the apple of their grandparents' eye. But that's the closest thing to the way that God's love comes across to me. The most earthly thing I can think of is the way that I felt accepted and loved in my grandparents' house. Yes, he exceptionally loves you, just like your grandparents did. But sometimes I would get so caught up in my love, in my being loved and all, and I would get disobedient. I would think I didn't have to mind. And that both my grandmothers at one point had to stop me and say, now, Joel, 
if you keep on like this, you can't come over anymore. And the thing is, one of the most horrible things that could ever happen to me was to not be able to go to my grandparents' house and to experience their love. And that kind of what goes on. There are conditions. There were conditions for me to be at my grandparents' house. I had to behave. That was the condition. There are conditions in the kingdom of God. You have to behave or there are consequences. And sometimes those consequences are scary. Sometimes they're sad. Sometimes they're grievous. It's not that God doesn't love us. It's the fact that it's because he loves us that we have to have these parameters that we live within. Anyway, that being said, there were conditions to the promises that God made. He could not bless bad behavior. Solomon got off into wrong stuff. His beginning was fabulous. During his reign, Israel went from strength to strength commercially. Extensive trade was uh, carried on by land with Tyre, Egypt, and Arabia, and by sea with Spain, India, and the coasts of Africa. As a result, Solomon generated huge amounts of cash. And he also had much of the produce from these different countries that he traded with. God appeared to Solomon in 1 Kings 3 and said, Ask what you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked God in verse 9 for an understanding heart. And not only uh, did God give him an understanding or a wise heart, but he also gave him that which he did not ask for. He gave him riches and fame. In 1 Kings 4, 32 through 34, it says, And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were a thousand and five. And he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. Solomon started out with a true and a deep love for the Lord. And God was able to bless him because of that. But this bright beginning ended in clouds and darkness. And we need to know what went wrong so that we won't wind up experiencing the same thing in our lives. Or maybe if we have experienced it, so we'll know how to get back on track. I want you to notice the number of times in 1 Kings 11, 4 through 11, that the word heart is mentioned. In 11.2, to the Israelites, the Lord says, you must not intermarry with them, speaking of the uh, Ammonites and uh, uh, two other uh, groups of people that were in the land of Canaan that were supposed to have been driven out totally, but because of Israel's disobedience, they left remnants of these people in the land. 
And so that's who he's speaking of. You must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Then in 11.4, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. Then in 11.9, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. You see, it has to do with the heart. Solomon's drifting away was a matter of the heart. Five times we see that word mentioned. There's a turning of the heart. The problem, strictly speaking, is internal, not external. Solomon allowed his heart to be turned. You know, Jesus tells us that it's not what goes into the mouth that gives us problems. It's what comes out because it is out of the heart that the real things of people come. It's out of the heart. That is the seat where we are either turned toward good or we're turned toward evil. That hit me a long time ago. I've shared it with you, with some of you before, when I was handling theft claims, whenever people stole from their employers. It always intrigued me that people in exactly the same conditions, one would not, would starve before they would steal, and another would dip into the till in a heartbeat. And they could even, they could have the same background, same environment, and this is back whenever hereditary versus environment and all that stuff was going on. And I began to see there that there is a moral compass within each one of us that turns either to the wrong or to the right. And it's deep, deep within us. It's really not external forces nearly as much as just how we decide we're going to be. It's, uh, and so... Uh, I, it was just amazing to see that. Now then, uh, in Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, uh, the author makes it clear that this is the center of the problem. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We see from this, we need to guard our hearts. This was the turning point for Solomon. His wives, he cared more about his wives than he did about God. That's where the problem began. We can blame it on difficult circumstances or the tempting situations that were put in, uh, or whatever. But the truth is, it has to do with the condition of our heart. Ultimately, you wanted it, or you would not have done it. Solomon did not just love the foreign wives that he had, and he had a, I didn't mention this this morning, he had a thousand wives. Well, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 
And, uh, uh, and the thing is, God had uh, told him, had told all the kings of Israel, don't be getting a bunch of wives. He didn't say just have one, but he said, don't get a, you don't need a thousand, you know. But uh, anyway, getting back to this, Solomon didn't just love them. He held fast to them in love. And the thing is, you cannot have two loves. Remember, Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. For either you're going to love the one or hate the other or uh, vice versa. So the thing is, he wound up having two loves and he wound up loving one of them way too much. There, the circumstances in Solomon's life, you see, were just a trigger point for what was already in his heart. And it's the same with us. You may want to blame circumstances but it's your heart that's either going to remain true or it's going to offend God, turn away from God. Solomon loved many foreign women, it says, and he held fast to them in love. And then it says this, the real key to the whole thing, his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. He can blame it on the wives and the concubines, but strictly speaking, that's not the real cause. The heart of the problem is the problem of his heart. Notice how the Bible compares him with his father, David. In 11.4, uh, 1 Kings, it says, His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Then 11.6 he did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Remember last week we looked at David and God's testimony about him was, he was a man after my own heart. And we see that's the way that we should be. But it takes guarding our heart, obviously, to keep it that way. So what's so special about David's heart? He was a sinner too. He committed adultery, he coveted someone's wife, and he even murdered the husband of Bathsheba. But then God tells Solomon, you are not like your father because his heart was fully devoted to God and he followed me completely. That's his heart. Not that he didn't sin, not that he didn't do any wrong, but that he was determined whenever he wound up estranged from God, to quickly get back with God in a right relationship. God honors David and says, I have found David, a man after my own heart. Guard your heart, people. Be devoted to God. Follow him completely. Don't compromise. Each time we sin, we need to be sure that we recognize what we've done, and as soon as we recognize it, repent and return. Guard your heart. But one of the things is, do we really believe what God says? We have a lot of people trying to tell us today, oh, he doesn't really mean that. He's not really going to do that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible shows a Lord who keeps his word. 
And we, because of that, we can trust his word. From day one, God had declared this warning openly to the people of Israel not to bring in these foreigners and their horrible and detestable religious practices. At Mount Sinai, the Lord spoke through Moses and said, Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly be destroyed. And specifically, he said this to the kings of Israel. When you enter the land of the Lord your God, the land that he is giving you, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you who is not a brother Israelite. The king, moreover, listen to this. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you. Now Solomon did this. He had thousands of chariots and thousands of horses, and he went and sent to Egypt to get them. He disobeyed God in that. You are not to go back that way again. You're not supposed to go back to Egypt and get stuff and bring it in. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. The Lord shared this with Moses and told Moses to warn the people 480 years before Solomon began his reign. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Solomon did all of those things, all of them. Now, the kings were, he didn't have an excuse of ignorance either because the kings were instructed to write these words down themselves. They were supposed to copy them out of the law themselves and keep it with them all the time. And they were supposed to review it and make sure that they weren't doing these things that were offensive to God. And yet here Solomon, knowing full well what he's supposed to do, pretended he wasn't even hearing it. If we try, but the thing is, God declared it was going to happen 480 years before and he was right on. What God said happened did happen, didn't it? And of course, when God speaks, it's the truth and it will come true. If we try to go against what God says, we're going to lose. There's no just, oh, forget about it. If you're going against God, you're going to pay a price. God said what he meant and he meant what he said long before Horton and the elephant, you know. Who was it that said he said what he, I mean what I said, I mean what I said. Anyway, some Dr. Seuss character said that. But uh, anyway, he says, take God's word at face value. That's what we must do. Respecting this is what is meant in the Bible by the fear of God. David wrote in Psalm 103, 
the 17th and 18th verses. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who take advantage of him? No. Who take him for granted? No. Those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Those who fear the Lord are those who keep his covenant and obey his precepts. As far as David was concerned, there was no other relationship as critical, as important as his relationship with God. And that's the way it has to be with us. He would not allow anyone, any person, or anything, not even his sin, to destroy that. When he sinned, he was compelled to seek forgiveness and restoration. Now, Solomon, totally the opposite. He followed these gods, Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites, and Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab. He built high places to offer sacrifices on them. And uh, the gods of Moab, they actually offered children as sacrifices on those uh, high places. I think it's interesting to note that many of the pagan religions have high places. Have you ever noticed that? You've got pyramids in Egypt. You've got uh, uh, the pyramids in Mexico City, outside of Mexico City, were made. They're high places. The, The people back then would elevate a place where worship was going to take place so that spectators could watch it and see it. Just the opposite of our stadiums today. But it's about the same thing. They was they elevated things so people could see. We elevate the people so they can see. But uh, the thing is that even here in Texas, you ever heard of the Caddo Indians and the Caddo Mounds? Those were places of worship. They were high places and they were connected with, with fertility gods, just like they were back in those old days in uh in the uh, the land of, uh, of 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 our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so he followed after all those gods, and this is what sin will do in our lives. He he built high places, he offered sacrifices on them, and he did this for all his foreign wives, and by doing so, he set in motion things that were going to wind up destroying Israel's soul for generations. He enslaved a nation to idolatry and apostasy. You see, he may have been thinking, oh, he was just indulging his wives and trying to be loving to them. But no matter what, if it goes against God's word, the repercussions are going to be horrible. And in this particular case, they were for many, many people. This is what sin does in our lives. And so don't be fooled by it. So what can we learn? Just kind of sum this all up. Put God first. Honor and reverence him in all that you say and do. 
Don't take him for granted like Solomon did. Put him before your spouse, before your children, before your family members, before your friends, before your job, before your every need. As Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you think you need, they're going to be taken care of. He knows our needs. We need to have faith. You know, I've heard a long, long, long time ago, aim at earth, no, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you lose both. That pretty well sums up what happened to Solomon. Number two, obey God. He said no other idols, no other gods, and Solomon did it. Another one, read the Bible. Read God's word. David, his father, told the Lord in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Now, If you don't read the Bible, I encourage you to start it because you're not going to be able to really embrace the wonderful relationship that God has for you without doing that. I started reading the Bible. Some of you have heard this before. Long time ago, whenever I was a teenager, I'd have a hard time going to sleep at night. So I started reading the Bible as a sleep aid. I discovered that... uh, I was told, just find the most boring thing that you can to read, and it'll help you go to sleep. And starting out in Genesis, and you get to the begat, 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 it got, the first time through, it got pretty boring. But you know what? Later on, those names started popping up again. And then as I went on through the Bible, and I read it from one end to the other, and the thing is, it's like a novel. Actually, it's more like a soap opera. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it started out, I would just go to sleep. You know, it was dull. But then, just like soap operas, if you just tune into one, you see these people. But then when you see the characters come back again and again, and you start relating to them, and you say, oh, man, he's on a wrong track there. And anyway, it just uh, winds up, you'll get caught up in it. So I would encourage you, start with Genesis Read all the way through to Revelation. It starts in the beginning and it ends in the end. It's like a big novel and it's fascinating. And whenever you start getting into things like this, it really gets like a soap opera. And uh, it's hard to put it down once you get familiar with it. So, But the most important thing that comes of it is as you read God's word, he just kind of comes along beside you and his presence is there with you as you are reading. And he will tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, this is what I've been talking, this is what these other people have been saying. You see that here? And all of a sudden, you'll start understanding him like you've never understood him before. Holiness won't be just a word. It'll be an understanding of how you please the Lord who loves you. Make sure, another one, that your primary relationships with other people uh, are with people who are followers of Christ like you. Do not be unequally yoked. Don't be dating. Don't be marrying people that are not 
believers like you. We're Sharon and I are watching a murder mystery series right now called the Mur- Murdoch Mysteries. And the thing is that in these mysteries, there's an underlying theme of a romance that's going on between uh, Detective Murdoch and uh, Dr. Ogden, who is a female coroner. And uh, the thing is, she is a feminist and atheist and all this sort of stuff. And he's a good Catholic boy. I mean, he investigates murders every week. And every time he comes across one, he a body, he crosses himself. I mean, he is very devout. And yet, so here they are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And they are drawn to each other. And you can tell nothing good's going to come of it. And, but, they're, but anyway, so anyway, you see, both of them are going to wind up, if they get together, they're both going to be miserable because their values are so different, they're not going to be able to continue together. And it's just sad to watch in a way and fascinating to watch in another. So, and the last thing, don't play games with sin. Don't compromise. So many people think, well, I can just do this little bit or, or it's going to be okay. I, I'm, I'm not going to go too far. Well, it reminds me of the story of the hunter that raised his rifle and took careful aim at a large bear. And as the hunter was about to pull the trigger, the bear spoke to him in a soft, soothing voice and said, isn't it better to talk than to shoot? What is it that you want? What is it you really want? Let's negotiate this matter. And lowering his rifle, the hunter replied, I want a fur coat. And the bear said, well, good. That's negotiable. All I want is a full stomach. So let's negotiate a compromise. And so they sat down to negotiate. And after a time, the bear walked away alone. The negotiations had been extremely successful. The bear had a full stomach and the hunter had his fur coat. That's the way those compromises come out. That's the way it happens. Bottom line, guard your heart and deal with anything that might turn your heart away from God quickly. The life of Solomon makes that clear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.